Well, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Hey, will you join me in just thanking the worship team for so faithfully leading us every morning? And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking, we are finishing off the last week of this series. Uh, we are four, and today I, I want to speak about something God put on my heart about a month ago, but we are for real spiritual power and victory, and we're going to look at that uh, in the lens of spiritual warfare. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, as, you, as you find your way to your uh, Bibles, let me just say this. As I was praying about this, one of the things I was reminded of, um, I don't know if you've been to Israel. I got a chance about 10 years ago to uh, go to the Holy Land, and I'm telling you, it was just one of the most breathtaking trips ever. I remember going, and uh, the, the, one of the things, though, that was kind of unique, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, is that it's kind of different than what you imagine. Like, I went in, and it's almost like a tourist trap when you first get in there, because you'll see everyone surrounding all these holy, sacred places. Uh, the name of God is used, but more in a, a, a sort of a profaning the name of God, more than declaring God's glory. And uh, it was one of those where I got up one morning, because I was just like, I need to actually sit and live in where I'm at. So I got up about four o'clock in the morning. I went to the Church of the Sepulchre where uh, it might be suggested that Jesus was actually crucified. And I'm telling you, I'm just reading the account of Jesus. And it's like one of the most powerful moments I've ever had. It's like this spot where heaven collided with earth. I'm thinking about where, where my sin collided with the righteousness of God. And it's just like this beautiful, breathtaking moment and I'll never forget, right after that, we actually started making our way uh, to the Gaza Strip. If you're aware, there was great tension between the Palestinian people and the Israelis. And so we started making our way towards the Gaza Strip, which is the Palestinian area. And all of a sudden, as we get close, I see these like six things come from the Gaza area. And I looked at our driver, and I'm like, what is that? No joke, very calmly, he goes, oh, those are rockets. And then he says, uh, but don't worry, the Iron Dome should get most of them. I'm like, most of them? <laughs> and then he says the most sobering thing ever. He goes, who's hungry? <laughs> I'm like, this is not the time to think about falafels. We have rockets coming at us. And it's like all of a sudden, I'm in this holy space, and I'm reminded that I'm in war-torn territory. I'm reminded, I'm completely oblivious for a moment that I, there is a war going on and I was completely unaware. You know, the same moment happened to me this week. I was at the dentist and uh, they had the news uh, on and literally I'm, I'm listening to the news and all of a sudden they say this thing. Hey, in the Ukraine war, the Ukrainian army took some ground back from Russia. And I was literally thinking about my son's eighth birthday. I was thinking about how much pain was gonna be inflicted at the dentist. The last thing that was on my mind was the fact that there is a war going on. I was completely oblivious to the fact that there was war and death and terror happening all around us. And the reason that I share this is that in Ephesians 6, Paul wants us to wake up to the reality that this morning, that there is a war going on that we are involved in. There is an enemy who, spiritually speaking, wants to kill you and cut your life off from God. He wants to corrupt your mind and corrupt your passion. And if you're anything like me, most people don't get up thinking about that. Like, not many people went to life group, and then all of a sudden, you're talking to someone in your life group, and you're grabbing a donut, and they say, what are you doing today? Not many people respond, hey, I'm probably going to get my oil changed, I'm going to watch the cowboys, and then I'm going to engage in the cosmic battle between good and evil and join God in tearing down the forces of evil. What are you doing? 
Like, I was just planning on eating at Cane's. I never really thought about it, you know? <laughs> like, these thoughts don't cross our mind, but the Bible wants us to know that we have to wake up to this reality that there is a war going on. In fact, listen to what it says, Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Notice it doesn't say, put on the full armor of God in case you need it or in case the enemy attacks. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. You will be engaged in a battle every day, is what Paul is saying. And then he goes on to say this in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is very important, because we don't talk about this a lot. If you don't have a healthy view of Satan and demons, you will make other people, demonic people, you will make other people caricatures of evil. Because you will fail to see the higher powers that are actually operating and influencing us each and every day. Out of curiosity, how many of you in this room would say, hey, I have someone in my life that at times, maybe, is difficult to love? <laughs> How many of you are sitting next to that person? <laughs> I saw someone do this. <laughs> I like that right there. You know, the truth is we all have people that are just difficult to love at times. And, and I was thinking about someone, someone, someone was actually uh, phoning me about someone who Every time I hear their name, it's usually associated with something around complaining. And I just have to tell you, as soon as I heard this person's name, I just had almost this spirit of defensiveness and anger and judgment. And I felt like the Lord said to me, you need to sit down, which is usually code for, Brian, you're doing something wrong. And I sat down and the Holy Spirit, maybe for the first time in my life, just revealed a flashlight that my battle is not against that particular person. I imagine in this room, there are some of you that have tension and animosity, maybe with the person sitting next to you, maybe someone in this room. If you don't fail to see there are higher forces of evil that are influencing, and what they want to do is create division and animosity and judgment and bitterness, you will fail to see there is a war going on, you'll be oblivious, and you will miss the invitation of the life that God has invited you into. And Paul says, wake up to that reality. That's why you can't go, we, we are literally standing remembering September 11th, evil terrorism. But what we often say, well-meaning, but in ignorance sometimes is, if we just wipe out terrorism, it will all go away. But the Bible says you gotta get the root, you gotta get the source. If you just take out a terrorist, all of a sudden another one will rise up unless you deal with the issue, which is not against flesh and blood, it's against rulers and powers and demonic authorities that influence and wanna create division. So the church has to wake up to this reality. And then it goes on to say, be aware of the devil's schemes in verse 11. Well, what is the devil's schemes? Well, James 4, seven through eight, gives us clarity, crystal clear clarity, on what the enemy wants to do in your life and in my life and in the church. It says this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But if you come near to God, he will come near to you. That word right there, devil, is actually the Greek word diabolo. And what it literally means is to cut and divide. So what is the enemy's schemes? It is to cut and divide you off from God, the source of power. What the enemy wants to do is to get you so frustrated at other people that it cuts you off, it divides you from the people of God. 
And so then all of a sudden you start going, well, all the church is filled with hypocrites and you pull away from the people of God. And then all of a sudden what you start doing is you go, you know, God didn't meet this prayer. God didn't answer that thing. And now you have this source that is separated. He wants to divide the life, the power, the presence, the joy of God from your spirit. And ultimately this is what he is trying to do. And so what is the solution? How do we stand against the attacks of the enemy? Well, can I just encourage you? When, 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 when we actually think about the idea of spiritual warfare, one of the things we see in the Old Testament that Satan rebelled against God. And so he couldn't overthrow God, he couldn't overthrow his power, he couldn't overthrow his presence. And so what Satan does now is he goes after what is most like God, which is you and I, his children. So because he cannot overthrow God, what he will do is he will go after you and try to get you divided from God, cut off from his power, and get us angered or divisive towards other people. In fact, if you wanna hurt me, you can say, hey, you know what, that message was awful. But if you really wanna wound me, you'll go after my children. So what the enemy does is he goes after what is most precious to God, his children. So how do we stand up against the attacks of the enemy? First, you gotta understand, it is not in your power, it is not in your strength, it is not in your abilities. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in what? Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. It goes on to say this in Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, put on the full armor of who? The full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will made to be able to stand your ground. And so, ultimately, what I want us to see is that we have to stand in the confidence, the strength, the power of God. So what I wanna do today is just um, give you an overview. I'm gonna give you a chart that as you're praying, and as you're engaging each day, these can be helpful things for you to remember what it means to put on the full armor of God. So today, I forewarn you, will be a little like drinking from a fire hydrant. We wanna come back to this and do about five or six weeks on this, possibly in the summer. But I just wanna give you what it means to put on the full armor of God. It will be on the screen. I'll encourage you at the very end. Uh, we can actually send you this message. If you email me, I'll send you my notes. And you can take this chart and use it for part of your prayer time. But what does it mean to put on the full armor of God? Starting in verse 14, this is what it says. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So the first thing that the Bible says is that the item that we are given is a belt of truth. Now, why do you need a belt of truth? Because the Bible says in John chapter eight, we have an enemy, the devil, who is the father of lies. And what he wants to do is to get us to believe certain lies that will cut us off from God and cut us off from other people. But the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will what? The truth will set you free. And so when you think of this belt for a Roman soldier, it was incredibly important because for a Roman soldier, this belt would hold up their garments so they didn't trip and fall in battle. It also, this belt would hold all the offensive weapons. And what the Bible is saying is Christians, what Paul is saying here is that when we put on the belt of truth, it keeps us, it allows us to stand firm in our faith. And ultimately it keeps us from the enemy's schemes. You know, I was sitting down with someone just a little while ago at a restaurant, and I was meeting with them, and they were talking about a particular struggle that they had, an addiction they had. And I asked them, how are you doing? Are you finding victory in this area? And you could see when, when I asked that question, it was like their face just moved really solemn. And they said, well, honestly, I don't know if I'll ever overcome this. And you could just see the sense of hopelessness. Ever been there? 
Like you pray for God to change something in your life, but it's like you, you find victory for a season and then it's, you just resort back to that thing. And I'm, I'm sitting with this person. I just asked him this question. I said, do you believe the gospel can change anyone? They said, absolutely. I said, no, no. Do you believe in this restaurant in a moment the gospel could change anyone that encounters it? They said, absolutely. Then I said, let me ask you this question. Why is it that you believe God can do for others what he will not do for you, which is namely set you free from this sin? And it was like something shifted in this person. It was like something awakened, not because of Brian, but because what happened in that moment is like all of a sudden the light bulb went off that they were believing a lie from the enemy and what they were doing is they were putting on this belt of truth. The truth was setting them free. For the first time in their life, they are finding victory in this area because they are renouncing the lies of the enemy. And what they're doing is they're stepping into this deeper life. So can I just say, this might sound like a weird analogy, but today I want you to think of yourself like an air traffic controller. I know that doesn't excite you unless you're probably 10 years old or younger, all right? But I want you to think about this. You will have lies the enemy will try to convince you of even in this moment. Lies like, hey, you know what? Things are never really gonna change. Your kids aren't gonna come back to the faith. Or you know what? You're, you're never gonna really be valued in this job. Or you know what? This thing Jesus is calling to you isn't better than him, and somewhere we just start to believe certain lies. Can I just say, when those lies come in, like you will never overcome this struggle. You're just destined to stay in this area that you go, you know what, that's not true, that's not noble. You start reciting Philippians 4.8, you think of yourself like an air traffic controller, no, 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 you cannot land. Hey, my kids will never change, that's not excellent, that's not praiseworthy, I will not allow that thing because I'm gonna put on the truth of God. That's the first invitation you are given, is that you and I would put on this belt of truth. Then it goes on to say this, there is a breastplate of righteousness. Now why a breastplate? For a Roman soldier, it protected their vital organs. It kept them safe and secure. So when you think about the breastplate of righteousness, what it protects us from is toxic shame and guilt. You know, there's this incredibly powerful story of a young man who committed this terrible sin in his early years in life. And then he decided that he was gonna deal with his guilt by trying to pay God back. So he ended up serving God as a priest for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And he said that the whole time he was serving God, he still felt this toxic guilt and shame. And then one day he heard of this revival that was breaking out in this parish down the road. So he made his way to this perish, and when he was watching the presence of God fall in this room, he noticed that there was this nun, that whatever she prayed would happen. It was like she was in tune with the presence and the power of God, and so he decided he was going to meet with this nun. So he schedules an appointment, he sits down with this nun, and then he says to her, hey, if you're someone who really hears from God, what sin did I commit years ago? And she says, you really want to know? And he says, absolutely. And she says, give me a minute. She walks out, goes into her prayer closet. She comes back to this man and she says, I've heard from God. And he says, he does not remember the sin you've committed and you are deeply loved. And that man in that moment broke down because for the first time, he didn't just know concepts about grace. He experienced it. Like when you radically behold the grace of God, you never get used to it. 
It's not like some movie you watch on rerun and go, oh yeah, that's good. It's like you understand the God of the universe literally took all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your brokenness, and he gave you all of his righteousness. You brought nothing to the plate. I brought nothing to the plate. And for those of us that go, oh yeah, I get this, can I just ask this question? If we are so aware of grace, why is it that when you and I sin, one of the last places we wanna be in the presence is the presence of God? Because somewhere we believe the lie that our performance, however good or bad, dictates how God feels about us. Can I just tell you, whatever you feel about yourself, God looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus if you are in him. You know, interesting enough, do you know the term saint is used of you in the Bible if you're in Jesus? Do you know the term saint is not an ethical term, it's an identity term. Even if you don't understand that you are a saint, the Bible calls you that. So in essence, what happens is you start to awaken when shame comes in and the enemy comes in and said, you did that, you engaged that way. And one of the things I know about Christianity is oftentimes the enemy will come in and go, hey, you're supposed to be a leader. You're the one who's supposed to be following me. If people saw what you did, said, engaged in, it'd be game over. And then all of a sudden, when shame comes in, you come and remind yourself. In Romans 8, the best known in the Bible, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you put on this breastplate of righteousness. It goes on to say this in verse 15. It says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now notice it talks about these shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. Now for a Roman soldier, shoes were incredibly important. They could not move forward. They had no mobility. They could not step into the future if they did not have shoes. I mean, you think about it, in those terrains, their feet would get cut up, and in many ways, they would be paralyzed because their feet would be so cut up and so torn that they could not step in to the future. And what happens when the people of God are overwhelmed with fear is that in many ways, they become paralyzed. And what I mean by that is think about that. Do you ever have so much fear or worry that it's like you cannot think about anything but that particular issue? And the Bible says, what is the solution when the enemy brings worry and crippling fear in your life? You step with the gospel of peace, which is ultimately the presence of God. Think about this. The most repeated phrase in the Bible. Do you know what it is? The most repeated phrase in the Bible is fear not. Fear not. This is not like a generational thing. Everybody fears something. But can I just encourage you, it's not even really biblical to tell someone to not fear. What is biblical is to tell them the most repeated promise in the Bible. Because the most repeated promise is the solution to the most repeated phrase. And the most repeated promise is this, I am with you always. You know, my, my son is, he just turned eight. And if, you've, if you're around him, he's probably told you multiple times because he wants everyone to know he's eight. But the thing is, my son is terrified, terrified of the dark. And one of the things we do is his bed is piled high with every stuffed animal, every sword you can find, every weapon you can find, because literally he is afraid of the dark. And when I pray with him every night, I will tell him, hey, you know what? I, if you get scared, I want you to know I'll be in the other room. I know you get afraid being alone, but I'll, I'll be right with you. Well, the other night I was praying with him and I said, hey, when you get afraid if you're alone, and he just stopped me. He said, dad, I think you're wrong. I said, what do you mean? And he said, you told me that I am never alone because Jesus is always with me. 
And I'm like, he listens, you know? <laughs> and I'm just like proud. On the outside, I'm like good. On the inside, I'm like, oh, he listens. This is awesome. And then he starts to speak, and literally, I put my hand over his mouth, and I'm like, don't ruin this moment for me, son. <laughs> I don't want you to say some heresy or some ridiculous thing. Let's just live in the spirit of God right now. <laughs> Eight-year-olds live with fear. 78-year-olds live with fear as well. What is the solution? The solution to fear is not your power, but it is the presence of Jesus. Whatever you are facing this morning, can I remind you, the promise is that God will be with you. Whatever the health outcome is, Whatever the job outcome is, whatever the kid's situation is, you cannot be afraid. You can step with peace because God is with you. You don't try to whip up more faith. You remind yourself who is with you and suddenly rest and peace and the power of God let you step into the future. Said another way, at night when I am anxious, I don't tell myself to not be afraid, doesn't help. I don't even aim for peace. What I aim for is the presence of Jesus. And when the presence of Jesus falls on me, what happens is I get my eyes off the waves of emotions and I stop sinking in fear and I start stepping with peace because I know who's with me. So in this moment, the invitation is not to try harder, it's to get your eyes on the author, the perfecter of your faith, because when you get your eyes on him, something shifts in us in a radical way. And then he goes on to say this in verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, a, a soldier would have found a shield very important because that's what actually protected them from these arrows the enemy was firing to take them out. Well, notice this in verse 16. It says, it can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, now, what are the flaming arrows of the evil one? Can I say what I believe it is? I believe what the enemy wants to do to cut you off from your faith, one of his schemes is discouragement. He will shoot more discouraging things your way. And can I just say this? It might seem overly simplistic, but every fall in the Bible is predicated by some form of discouragement. Every fall in your life, I would contend, I've said this before, every fall is really preceded by discouragement. Think about it like this. I say this a lot, but you know what? No one says, I have the best spouse on planet earth. I think I'm going to leave them. No one says, hey, I've got the best job. Like I'm valued. I've got the best benefits. I love what I do. I think I'm going to find something that's a little less enjoyable. No one says, I have the best faith. Like God is teaching me so many amazing things, but I think I'm going to give my heart to something else. The only people who say that are people who are discouraged because things aren't as you intended them to be. And so what we feel like the best solution is to give up because somewhere we are so discouraged about what it is that we are facing and that is an attack from the enemy. The enemy wants you to think there is no hope. I mean, literally the only people that I have ever seen overcome a spirit of discouragement is Cowboys fans. It's it. <laughs> like literally... Everyone's like, oh, today is the day. I'm like, you're praying Tom Brady, the greatest player of all time. But you know what? Today is the day. You've lost half your offensive line, but today is the day. And it's funny, you know, the Bible is actually written in such a way where you have literal translations and then you have paraphrased translations. Uh, just this morning, I was reading this in Matthew 17, 21. It said, he said to them, because 
of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Do you know what the message version said? It shocked me, I didn't know. It says, I say to you, if you have faith like a Cowboys fan. It's in the message version, check it out. I'm sorry. I thought that was super funny. I sent it to Russell, who did our CGs. He didn't find it funny, but I did, so thank you for, thank you for letting me do that. In all sincerity, can I say this in a room of our size? I am not naive. There are some people carrying some real things, some discouragements. One of the things that is so easy for me oftentimes is to project a certain image, but on the inside there is just discouragement that I am facing. I don't know what it is that you're facing. I know in a room our size there's probably some real things that you are navigating. Can I just say this from the bottom of my heart? Don't give up. You know, you think about Joshua. He's supposed to march around this city for seven days. Some of you have been marching, you've been praying, you've been asking God to move in this area of discouragement, and some of you are ready to give up. Can I just say, you might be on the fourth or fifth day, you might be on the sixth day, but the seventh day I really believe is coming. Don't give up. Oftentimes what the enemy wants you to do is see absolutely no hope. You know, there is a place called Pebble Beach, California. And if you go to Pebble Beach, California, one of the things people will do is they'll take these rocks because they're amazing, they, they're smooth, they, people, people put them on their mantles, they become this picture that people use to display something worthwhile. But do you know why those rocks are such treasures? Is because the current, the tide comes in, and what happens is it takes those rocks and it constantly grinds them and presses them and crushes them. And because of that pressure, something amazing happens. Can I just say, oftentimes it is in the pressures of life, it is in the crushing moments of life, it is in the discouraging moments of life where God does his richest work in your life. And what the enemy does not want to happen, he does not want to see you become a person of faith and power because he knows that pain will either deliver you or it will destroy you. And you watch any saint of God, they'll never say, hey, you know what? Like the best season of my life, spiritually speaking, is just this season where it's like my kids obey every one of my commands. My, my wife and I, we just, we get along so great. Everywhere I go, I have favor. Like I'm getting raises no one speaks like that. And then they never go, you know what? Like spiritually, it's the best season. People will say, hey, it was that season. It was that valley. It was that moment of pain and hopelessness that Jesus did his richest work in my life. Yeah. Can I just encourage you, if you're in a place where you feel like there is no hope, it is possibly the hand of God wanting to take your faith and grow you in such a way that your root system would be so dependent on him that you would have perseverance and you would be mature and complete in him. Yeah. That's the invitation as you start to see this and you start to walk through it. Then it goes on to say this, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It says the helmet of salvation. Now, why is a helmet important to a soldier? A helmet actually protects their head. It protects their mind. And what does the enemy try to scheme against our mind? What does the enemy try to do with our mind? I believe what he tries to do is fill us with pride. I believe the helmet of salvation keeps us from a spirit of pride. 
keeps us from this independent, self-reliance, focused on ourself kind of mentality. I love this. A pastor friend was telling me this story that when he was first getting into ministry, he had this older man that was discipling him, and they went to a restaurant. And they happened to be studying in their Bible study, they happened to be studying Mark chapter 11, where Jesus rides in on a donkey during Palm Sunday. And he said they were, they were actually studying this passage, and this older man looked at him, and he said, I have a word that I want you to build your ministry on. <coughs> And he goes, all right, I'm, I'm leaning in and I'm wondering what it is. And he says, here's what I want you to do for the rest of your life. I want you to be that donkey in that story. He's like, be what? I want you to be the donkey. I want you to be the donkey that brings in divinity's arrival. I want you to be the donkey. And he said, it would probably have been really easy for that donkey to get confused that day. All of a sudden, the donkey starts seeing all these cloaks that are laid out. All the donkey sees are these palm branches, people shouting and cheering whenever the donkey walks by. He said it probably would have been easy for that donkey to start strutting its stuff. He goes, but that donkey would be confused because the donkey was not important. What was important is who the donkey was carrying. And can I just say, this is very, very important because this hits me and it scares me to death what I'm about to tell you. What God is opposed to is not unbelief. What God is not opposed to is sinful people. What God is not opposed to is worry and anxiety. What God is opposed to is pride. And religious people are the most susceptible to it. Because what happens is we will moralize preferences. Well, this is how we should do church. This is how we should sing songs. This is how we should preach the Bible. This is what other people should do. This, this, this. I'm telling you, I am guilty of this at times, and I just want to repent of a spirit of pride that makes it anything about me. My job is to be a donkey. My job is to be so emptied of myself that I could be filled with the presence of Jesus. Because sometimes, if you're not careful, you get so filled with your agendas, your plans, your ideas, that you cannot be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. You know, it's interesting. Can I encourage you with something that I believe is encouraging? You know, people will tell me all the time when I'm meeting with them, if I go, if I go grab lunch or a coffee, one of the things I want to hear is your story. I love hearing people's story. I love hearing how God transforms a life. It never gets old to me. But one of the things that I notice people will often do, and I used to do this when I was first a Christian, is people will say, hey, my story isn't all that impressive. Like I grew up in a church home. I don't have eloquence. I'm not bold. And so people will start with that. Can I just, can I just tell you, a picture frame is only as good as the art it displays. No one ever walks into your home and goes, you know what, that picture on your wall is awful, but that picture frame, where'd you get it? <laughs> because a picture frame job is to display the artwork. You and I are to be the donkey. You and I are to be the picture frame, which means our only job is to display the goodness, the glory, the power, the majesty, the name of Jesus. It is not about me. And the quicker you and I realize that, the quicker we get filled up with the life and joy of God. Because when I am so worried about my future, you know what can happen? It can crumble. I've always got to compete against other people. But when my job is just to display the beauty and the glory and the goodness of God, life, peace, joy enter the equation. May we be people as the enemy attacks and wants us to make us think it's all about us, that we are emptied. And finally, I'll end with this. It goes on to say, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the word of God here, we are told, is the one offensive weapon we have. So you can put on all the armor of God. You can put on all these things, but you actually need the sword, which is what? The promises of God. 
And I distinguish that because what the Bible says is you don't need the knowledge of God. What you need is the promises of God. Demonic figures have a knowledge of God, but they do not carry the promises of God. And so what happens is we become people who cash in these promises. If you're anything like me, I get gift cards. I put them in my wallet and I think to myself, I'm going to use these. And then every year I clean out those gift cards and I realize I have $130 to Starbucks. How does someone get 130 bucks to Starbucks? And then what happens is those things either expire or my wife steals them and I never cash them in. The promises of God are not good if we just read them and never cash them in and never proclaim them over our life. They were never meant just to be read, read and go, oh, that's really good. One day I'm gonna claim that. What Jesus wants is right now in this moment to step into the power and the promises of God. Can I just encourage you with this? You know, Eastern meditation is all about emptying yourself of particular thoughts. So if you talk about meditation and you kind of have an Eastern background or mindset, people say, hey, the goal of meditation is actually to empty yourself of thoughts. What you want to do is almost get to this Zen-like state where you just have no pressures. What's interesting is Western meditation is all about intellect. It is almost an engineer's background. How do I solve this problem? <laughs> Biblical meditation is something else. You fill your mind with the promises of God. Yes. Remember when Joshua, when he's actually getting ready to take over for this great man of faith and he's terrified and he's doubting if he can lead the people of God, do you know what God gives him? He says, meditate on my word day and night and then you will be successful. Meditate on the promises of God and then things will change. Um, this should be everybody. How many of you have ever stayed up at night worried or anxious about a particular thing? I imagine this would probably be a whole lot of you, right? Well, then here's my encouragement. You know how to meditate. It hit me one day. Like, I'm like, God, I don't know how to meditate. He's like, well, what do you do? You stay up at night worried about things. All you need to do is replace that with a promise of God. So no joke, one night. I'm awake, I cannot turn off my mind. My wife's angering me because she's asleep peaceful, so I just want to kind of bump her, not in the spirit of God, but in the spirit of Brian, all right? Because if you can't fall asleep, someone asleep frustrates you more than anything. And I'm just laying there. And I start reciting Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it's God's perfect desire to give you the kingdom. And I start going, God, I'm not even asking you to give me rest. I'm not asking you to take all of this away. What I'm asking is right now that your kingdom is a kingdom of peace. So in this moment, I'm asking for the peace of God to fall on my life. And here's the deal. Peace washed over me. And I still stayed awake, but I was at peace. And so can I just encourage you, whatever that is, let's be people who walk through life each and every day claiming the promises of God, living out of those promises, cashing them in. We're gonna close with this. I'm gonna put this chart on the screen. What I want to know right now, or what, what I want to give you a moment, is where is the enemy trying to attack you? Like, are there certain lies that you are believing that this thing will never change, or this thing is worthy of your life? You know, do you find yourself where you're just carrying something that you never really talked about, and you act like you've found victory, but what you really have is shame? Well, then your invitation right now is to be reminded of the righteousness of God. If you have lies that you are carrying, you remind yourself of the truth of God that that is not true, that is not noble, that is not excellent. If you have fear right now that you are carrying, you remind yourself the most central promise is God is with you right now. He will never leave, never forsake you. 
If you are in a place where you just have some discouragement, you are carrying some things and you don't know the outcome and you are ready to throw in the towel because things aren't changing. Can you just get to this place where you trust that everything that happens, happens for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus, that he who began a good work in you will see it through. And if you're in this place where pride is there and you just find yourself just a little too worried about the kingdom of self, give that to God. Be the donkey. Remind yourself that the way that God becomes more in your life is you become less. And then finally, maybe you're just filled with doubt and right now you just need to say, God, I wanna fill my mind. I wanna replace, even today, this doubt with the promises of God. What I wanna do is just give you a minute where you sit and we'll close out. Right now, speak to God, identify where you're at and then speak to God your weapon, your solution in that moment. Just take this moment and then I'll close this out. Jesus, we delight that you, the Bible says, long to hear from the cry of your people. I pray one thing as we close out our time. I pray that you would allow us, you would allow me, you would allow the people of God, the church of God to wake up this morning. You would allow us to wake up to the schemes of the enemy, but the power of God and the beauty of your kingdom. Jesus, we thank you that you have called us to engage our lives with what really matters because we believe that life is too short, hell is too hot, and heaven is too long to give ourselves to lesser things. So in the name of Jesus right now, we just pray that we would be awakened in new ways today to the majesty, to the power, to the love of God. It's in your mighty, wonderful name we pray. Amen. Hey, as we close out, we'll be done. Um, as we close out, I would encourage you, you can go online, you can get a picture of that uh, chart. Pray that or pray your version of that every single day. If you want to talk about prayer, you need some support, you need anything, questions you have about the heights, how do you join, you can do that. Also, last week, and then I'll be done, uh, Gary spoke about a book called How to Pray by Pete Gregg. It's an awesome book. We have a few more available out there. You can buy those uh, cheaper than you can buy online, so grab one of those. You guys are amazing. Uh, have a wonderful day, and may God be with your cowboys. Blessings. Blessings. <laughs>